Welcome to Good Medicine Explained. I'm your host, Dr. James R. Brown. This is episode number 15 for the week of September the 13th, 2020. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my explanations of various health disorders and medical conditions. My goal is simple, to provide for you, the listener, new insight and awareness of how our bodies function, how medical professionals identify and treat these problems, and how a person such as yourself can cultivate a lifestyle and practice that can prevent or reduce these health problems. Needless to say, there hasn't been much good news in the country over the last couple of weeks. The COVID-19 pandemic is not easing up much, and the seasonal flu is just around the corner. The extensive fires raging throughout California, Oregon, and Washington in these past two weeks are making global impact as ash is being spread thousands of miles eastward. Many university and school districts around the country are already deciding to remain under a virtual teaching format for the upcoming spring semester, January through May of 2021. Now, as if that weren't enough, we're being bombarded with divisive and negative political campaign ads leading up to the November 3rd national election. With so much intense and impactful news hitting us daily and continuously, we can understand how some individuals could be driven to have a drink of alcohol. Since the beginning of human civilization, alcohol has been a social activity subject to collective and individual controls. There are enormous variations in cultural norms and standards for consuming alcohol, but at least four common features have been revealed through cross-cultural research analysis. One is the proscription of solidarity that drinking provides. Two is the prescription of social ability. Three is the social control of consumption and behavior. And four is the restriction on females and underaged drinking in different cultures. Past attempts at prohibition here in the United States was attempted, the 18th Amendment, which was passed in January 1920, 100 years ago. But it was not successful as the 21st Amendment, uh, which essentially was passed and put into effect in January of 1934. According to the 2018 National Survey on Drug Use and Health, 86.3% of Americans aged 18 or older reported having a drink of alcohol at least once in their lives. 70% reported they drank in the past year, and 55.3% reported they drank in the last month. The Nielsen marketing data released in June this year revealed that total alcohol sales outside of bars and restaurants have surged up 
24% during the pandemic, and sales of alcohol have also risen by 27% over last year. So think about the quarantine cocktail parties and the Zoom happy hours that are going on. Excessive alcohol consumption is the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States. Nearly 3 in 10 adults in the United States use alcohol in an unhealthy manner. More than 85,000 deaths a year in the U.S. are directly attributed to alcohol use, including medical illnesses, traffic fatalities, drownings, and suicides. So we ask, what constitutes heavy or excessive alcohol use? Well, we no longer define the term alcohol abuse or alcohol dependence that was popularly used in the DSM-4 diagnostic criteria. In the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria, we use the term alcohol use disorder. Now, alcohol use disorder has several different criteria, which I'll go through right now. Uh, one of the criteria is a recurrent drinking resulting in failure to fulfill role obligations. Another criteria is recurrent drinking in hazardous situations or continued drinking despite alcohol-related social or interpersonal problems. Another criteria is evidence of tolerance, meaning you can tolerate drinking large quantities of alcohol without manifesting symptoms. Another criteria is evidence of alcohol withdrawal or use of alcohol for relief or avoidance of withdrawal. Drinking in larger amounts or over longer periods than intended is considered a feature of alcohol use disorder. Persistent desire or unsuccessful attempts to stop or reduce your drinking. Or large amounts of time spent obtaining, using, or recovering from alcohol use or giving up or reducing time with important activities. And the last criteria would be continued drinking despite knowledge of physical or psychological problems caused by alcohol or having excessive alcohol cravings. In the DSM-5, the alcohol use disorder is modified to include what is called early remission, which is at least three months, but less than 12 months, of not having had any of the above-mentioned criteria for alcohol use other than possibly craving. Another term is a sustained remission, which would take at least 12 months or longer for not having any of the criteria for alcohol use disorder. And then there is what they call a controlled environment in which 
access to alcohol has been restricted. And in the alcohol use disorder, we identify uh, several severities, mild, moderate, or severe. A mild alcohol use disorder would constitute having two or three of the above-mentioned criteria of alcohol use. Moderate would be four to five, and severe would be six or more of the mentioned criteria. So what exactly happens to a person when they drink alcohol? Well, what our body does with the alcohol is known as metabolism. Alcohol metabolism is controlled by genetic factors, such as variations in key enzymes that break down alcohol. Other factors include the amount of alcohol consumed, the period of time alcohol is consumed, and the overall nutritional status of an individual. The majority of alcohol metabolism occurs in the liver cells called the hepatocytes. And actually, the compound that we're consuming in beverages is known as ethanol. And in the process of metabolizing or breaking down ethanol, you require two key enzymes. One of them is called alcohol dehydrogenase. And the other is called aldehyde dehydrogenase. Now, alcohol dehydrogenase is the enzyme, the first one, that will take ethanol and it will convert it into an intermediate product called aldehyde. Aldehyde is the highly toxic and carcinogenic metabolite of ethanol metabolism, but it lives for a short period of time. The high concentrations of aldehyde can cause coordination, memory, and sedative effects. There are additional enzymes, including the cytochrome P450 and catalase enzymes, which are also used with alcohol dehydrogenase to break down ethanol to aldehyde. These two enzymes are minor, but they become involved when a person has consumed large amounts of alcohol. And when ethanol is metabolized by these enzymes, they can produce another highly reactive metabolite called reactive oxygen species, or ROS. And these ROS metabolites can damage proteins or segments of the DNA. The small amount of ethanol can also be removed by interacting with free fatty acids in our circulation to form compounds called fatty acid ethyl esterases, or FAEEs. The fatty acid ethyl esters uh, contribute to liver 
and pancreas damage. Now, the second enzyme that I mentioned was called aldehyde dehydrogenase. So we take ethanol, convert it to an acetaldehyde, and then the acetaldehyde is converted to a less toxic byproduct called acetate by the enzyme aldehyde dehydrogenase. So the acetate, which is one of the final end products of ethanol metabolism, is broken down into water and carbon dioxide, mainly by non-hepatic tissues, so that these products, water and carbon dioxide, can naturally and easily be eliminated. Additional alcohol metabolism does occur in sites other than the liver. Those sites would include the pancreas and the stomach or even the brain. Now, the interesting thing about these enzymes of aldehyde dehydrogenase and alcohol dehydrogenase is that there's genetic variation within different persons. And this genetic variation is determined to cause very fast or active or very slow conversion by these enzymes. For example, a fast alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme producer, but a slow aldehyde dehydrogenase enzyme producer can permit toxic concentrations or levels of acetaldehyde to build up in the blood. The type of ADH or ALDH a person has inherited will influence how much that person can safely drink and in turn influences his or her risk for developing alcoholism. Fast ADH metabolizers may be protected against alcoholism because they quickly produce high concentrations of acetaldehyde, which makes a person feel ill. Interestingly, Native Americans, who tend to have high rates of alcoholism, do not have significant differences in their ADH or ALDH enzyme gene activity compared to white Americans, which points to other factors that contribute to alcoholism among this group of people, such as their environment. Now, if you want to know whether you're a fast or slow alcohol metabolizer, there is a test and method called the alcohol clamp method, which researchers use to study the genetics of alcohol metabolism and elimination. Basically, in this test, you're given an IV and injected with ethanol into your circulation. And then they have an accurate measure of how much was administered intravenously, and they do timed breath alcohol concentration measurements. So at 30 minutes or an hour, they measure the amount of 
metabolite that you exhale when you breathe. And they control for your age, your gender, and your body mass. And this is how we are able to determine some people who are slow or fast metabolizers. Now, in a doctor's office visit, we typically will screen adolescents and all adults for alcohol use disorder, either at their initial office encounter or at a follow-up annual exam, or if they've had an alcohol-related injury or trauma, they're depressed, anxious, have GI symptoms, or abnormal liver enzymes on lab tests, or they're experiencing social or legal uh, concerns and issues. Most of us are familiar with some of the symptoms that a person will manifest when they've drank too much. For example, you may notice they have facial flushing, there's nausea, a rapid pulse, their speech is slurred, they may have disinhibited behavior, they may be uncoordinated or unsteady walking. There's a particular type of symptom that's of concern for people who have uh, been established as heavy alcohol drinkers and are alcoholics. And it's called delirium tremens. Delirium tremens is a manifestation of a sudden and uh, discontinued use of alcohol, which causes a rapid descent in the concentration of ethanol in their body. It's a symptom of withdrawal. It can start as early as four hours, but as many as 72 hours after a person has had their last drink. Or it could even happen if a heavy alcoholic drinker has made a significant reduction in their consumption. The uh, experience of delirium tremens uh, causes tremulousness, thus that's where it gets its name. The person is shaking and trembling. They may have visual or auditory hallucinations. They may have seizures, and they can even die from this withdrawal of alcohol. Typically, the episode will peak about 48 hours after it starts, and it could last as long as five days. Now, alcohol-related problems that aren't so dramatic could include several. For example, the big one is damage to the liver. More than 90% of people who drink heavily may develop fatty livers. And about 20% of persons with heavy alcohol consumption progress to develop hepatitis. Or they can have severe liver disease that ultimately leads to cirrhosis or liver cancer. Other common alcohol-related problems include esophagitis or gastritis because of the heavy alcohol in the upper GI tract. Pancreatitis can occur in about 10% of alcoholics, 
due to the high concentration exposure of the acetaldehyde and the uh, fatty acid uh, ethyl esters. Cardiomyopathy, or weakening of the heart muscle itself, can occur. Bone marrow suppression, meaning the reduced production of red cells and blood cells in the bone marrow, can lead to abnormal cells called macrocytes, or macrocytosis. Some alcoholics may fall asleep, and they may actually vomit, but instead of completely having an episode of vomiting, they aspirate and suck some of that into their lungs, which we call aspiration pneumonia. And of course, alcohol consumption is associated with cancers of the upper respiratory tract, the liver, the colon, or the rectum and breast. Acetaldehyde interferes with the replication and repair of damaged DNA segments, which is how we believe a person may develop cancers in the first place. There's a special concern among women who are pregnant uh, known as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It used to be called fetal alcohol syndrome. But in this condition, exposing a fetus to increased ethanol during pregnancy prevents the fetus from receiving many necessary nutrients from the placenta. As a result, there can be uh, physical and morphologic uh, problems with such a child. There are some psychiatric complications that are associated with heavy alcohol use, including anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, other substance use disorders, sleep disturbances, and even eating disorders. Finally, let me just mention a couple of ways that we actually treat uh, alcohol use disorder. Uh, the first line treatment of medications uh, include naltrexone, which is a tablet which you can get in 50 to 100 milligrams per day, or an injection of about 380 milligrams once a month. Uh, this medication assists people in reducing their cravings for alcohol and helps them to safely reduce and discontinue their alcohol use. Another first-line agent is called acamprosate. Acamprosate, however, can't be started until after a person has been abstinent for some time. It will reduce some of the symptoms associated with abstinence and withdrawal, but it is known to cause some GI symptoms, headache, drowsiness, and dizziness. The second line agents that we uh, refer to include topiramate, which is actually an anticonvulsant, and we usually prescribe about 300 milligrams per day. The other one is an old standard called disulfiram, 
which is about 125 to 500 milligram dose per day. Disulfiram, uh, however, should only be used by abstinent individuals who want to maintain abstinence. So let me summarize here with some of my take-home points. Number one, alcohol use is as old as human civilization itself. Different cultures have associated different social norms and expectations for use. Number two, excessive alcohol drinking is the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States. As Americans try to cope with this coronavirus pandemic, alcohol consumption is increasing, which is generating concerns that after the pandemic is over, our rates of alcoholism may also increase. Number three, alcohol metabolism is influenced by two major enzymes, alcohol dehydrogenase and aldehyde dehydrogenase. These two enzymes have genetic inheritance patterns and some people are normal acting rates of metabolism, some are fast acting metabolizers and others are slow acting metabolizers for these enzymes. And these genetic features may be responsible for the proclivity of some persons to be alcohol sensitive. And number four, pay close attention to how you are consuming and responding to alcohol use. If you or others recognize troubling symptoms or behaviors, get help right away. If this particular topic or any of the previous episodes have provoked questions for you, be reassured that I do regular Q&As on my Instagram account at jrbrownmd, where you can submit your questions there through direct message. However, I emphasize that I do not serve as a replacement or substitute for your own personal physicians, nor do I provide individualized consultations outside of my practice. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my podcast team, Lauren and Natalie, who are responsible for making my podcast possible. This week is personally special for me, and I'd like to wish my mother, Geraldine Brown, a happy birthday. I love you, Mom. I'd like to remind all the listeners out there to get your annual flu shots now. If you haven't done so already, the earlier you get the shot, the more protected you and your loved ones will be. Finally, as I've been doing for the past month, please make sure that you're registered to vote by mail or in person this week. The new health care model for America depends on you casting your vote for November 3rd. Until our next opportunity, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be loved, and may you have a peaceful heart.